This episode is sponsored by Copy That, my signature course for writing websites that speak volumes and sell, something that every creative making money for sure needs. To learn more about my approach to writing that sells, you can visit thecopythatcourse.com slash free training. Anytime that I'm in a room and I find that most of the people in the room are agreeing, I feel like uncomfortable. Um, and so then I will usually leave the room and go find a room where people are disagreeing with each other. Um, because I just, I feel really uncomfortable when everybody's nodding their head. You're listening to Creatives Making Money, the podcast for creatives who are on a mission to do the work they feel most called to do and make some money while they do it. This is a show for the makers, the dreamers, the doers, the creators, the artists, the crazy ones, and the ones who are determined to consciously build the life and career of their dreams. Here, we don't just believe in getting your dream job, we believe in creating it. So what does creative success even look like? How do we live a fully expressed, abundant AF life? That's precisely what we're here to find out. My mission with Creatives Making Money is to conduct 100 interviews with successful creatives and those who love and support them about money, career, and the process of making and doing what they most love, including all of the ups, downs, and in-betweens. I'm your host, Jamie Jensen, writer, storyteller, filmmaker, serial entrepreneur, and shameless creator. No matter where you are in your creative and financial journey, I'm here to help you create like you mean it. Thank you so much for being here today. We are on the Creatives Making Money podcast. And today my guest is the uh, incredible chocolate loving Corey Huff. (laughs) Corey Huff is a serial creative and, and a serial entrepreneur. He's after my own heart with that one. He runs an incredible, incredible professional trade association called the Abundant Artists, where he helps artists make a living from their art. He's also an actor, a director, a storyteller, and an author. So Corey and I have a lot in common. And Corey, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to like just have a a really fun conversation with you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This will be this will be a good time. And we do have a startlingly large number of things in common. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. We both love chocolate. Mm-hmm. We both like cookies. Mm-hmm. Um. And a lot of other things that I'm sure we're going to talk about over the next 45 minutes to an hour um, today. So the where I really want to begin, though, is um, something that I read on one of your multitude of uh, internet homes <laughs> was really about your mission and that your mission is not only to teach talented artists to sell their art online, but to dispel the starving artist myth forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you write that it is possible to make the art you want, live the creative life you want to lead and make good money doing it. Yes. Um, to which I am like, preach. <laughs> and, you know, really that's, these are the types of conversations that I want to be having as much as possible with this, you know, with this platform, as you know, but really one of the things that I was curious about after reading that was thinking about, like, I'm curious if you can recall the first time that you ever even like heard, heard about or knew that like 
a starving artist was like an archetype or a thing. Like, Mm. do you have any memory of where, you know, like where that might've come from in your life? Yeah. So uh, like on a personal level, um, I definitely grew up just with a, there's not a specific moment. I definitely just grew up thinking uh, artists can't make money. Right. Um, but I think part of that was the fact that I grew up in a family that didn't make money. Um, mm. You know, the, the most anybody in my family had ever made when I was growing up was like $30,000 a year. Right. And that was like a great year. Um, and so I, I grew up thinking that it's just, it's really hard to make money in general. And uh, I didn't know anybody that was wealthy uh, or even like solidly middle-class. Right. Uh, not until I got to like my junior or senior year of high school and my social circle expanded a little bit. Uh, so I definitely grew up with this poverty mindset. Um, and yeah, so that's like, that's me personally. Um, and I, I don't know quite where you're going with this next, but I have a lot of thoughts and opinions and research on where this starving artist idea go like how it gets spread in Mm -hmm. general. So, yeah. Yeah. I'd love to hear. I mean, please, if you, if you have a, if there's more you want to share on that, please Uh dig in. Yeah. So it is, I think there is, there's a fundamental truth that for some artists, and this is not true across the board for some artists, their brain just doesn't work in the way that you need to work in order to do business. Right. Um, I think that you can learn it and you can learn that mindset, but that's not just artists, right? Like it's, it's inventors, it's software developers, anybody who makes a thing. Um, though the mindset that you need to be an inventor and a creative is a little bit different than the mindset that you need to, to run a business, but that doesn't mean that you can't have both. And it doesn't mean you can't learn both. Right. Um, so that's sort of just like the reality of it on a certain level. But I think that there is a cultural narrative or several cultural narratives, um, that we have used as an excuse, um, to abdicate our own power or our own responsibility, as well as, um, cultural narratives that we use as almost like a club to beat down artists who are successful and to tell them that they're doing it wrong. Right. Um, so I, I've been doing this for 10 years and I have lots of stories, uh, for both of those things. Right. Um, the starving artist myth that comes from, uh, Henri Marget's book, uh, the A day in the life of the Bohemian. He's this 17th century French writer who wrote a series of essays about him and his starving artist friends living in the French quarter in Paris. And that book became the inspiration for the opera La Boheme and the musical rent. Um, mm-hmm. but that book was just a series of essays about what it, what it was like to live as a starving artist in Paris. And the thing about the book is like everybody in the book is they're untrained. They don't know what they're doing. They, they don't really practice. They don't rehearse. Um, they certainly don't go out and like try to sell their stuff. And in the preface to the book, he says, you know, like Bohemia or like the starving artist life is meant to be like a phase in the artist's career. And eventually you either, you, you have to grow out of it and you either, uh, as he says, you either go to the Hotel Du, which is uh, the insane asylum, the morgue, or you join the academy, which is the professional 
academy, which is doing the things that professional artists do to make a living. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, his whole point in writing the essays was these people, all of his friends and all these other people were not willing to do the things that make you successful. Right. Um, but the book was so successful and his writing was so powerful that it became a cultural touchstone. And most people don't know that, you know, they know Brent and they know uh, th- all the cultural stuff associated with that musical, but they don't know that it comes, comes from this one guy. Right. Mm-hmm. So his one, his one idea has disseminated itself into, into Western culture quite deeply. Um, and there's a few other people like that people who lionized starving artists and those became the de facto stories that we all tell each other. Um, mm-hmm. so it's also like romanticized, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. Oh, it's so romantic to be, to have this life. And it just, it just develops you to be better at everything that you're doing creatively. And so you should suffer more, more than normal because being human isn't suffering enough. the funny thing is like like if you want to make a great art you need funding you need time you need mental space Mm -hmm. in order to make all that great art almost all of the great art that's been made in history all the art that we uh lionize as amazing art came from artists who were in a space where they had lots of room and capacity to create right um I mean, there are exceptions. Everybody talks about Van Gogh, um, but he's, you know, he would, he had like mental illness problems, like literal mental illness problems. Um, And he only produced a tiny amount of work in his lifetime. But then like Picasso came from a family that was well-to-do, not well-to-do, but like solidly middle-class. And his father was an art professor. So he learned how to draw. He knew how to draw like, like a master by the time he was 13. And, you know, he had this comfortable life and then he chose to leave that comfortable life and go live uh, in poverty in Paris until he was able to make it. But he had this fallback where he could go back to be with his family if, if he needed to. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's this story happens over and over again with almost every successful artist that we see throughout history. They have people supporting them and giving them money and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, none of them do it on their own. Mm -hmm. Which is also in many ways, like an important lesson. You know, I believe that the ability to ask for money and to ask for funding and to receive it, whether it's like directly for creative services that you're providing as a professional or whether it's like in pursuit of like, um, you know, just getting resources for a larger project that you want to create. Mm -hmm. I just think that it's like, that's just an important takeaway that like, nobody does this alone. Nobody does this in a dark room, like creating great work when you're struggling to get by, like, isn't even really a thing. Um, Yeah. It's really hard to create your best work when you're struggling to figure out where you're going to live and what you're going to eat. Yeah. A hundred percent. The other thing that I thought was interesting that you mentioned that I want to ask about is this idea. You said something about like beating down the people that succeed, you know, like the ones who do get there, do rise or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you say more about that? Just so, just to kind of make make that example more tangible yeah so i've been doing this for 10 years like i said and Mm -hmm. probably about once a month or so i will get an email uh from some random artist that i've never heard of and they will tell me 
hey, you know, uh, I'm, I'm looking to take my career to the next level and I don't know anybody here locally, so can you help me? And we'll get into a conversation. And it turns out that they're already doing like $100,000 a year from their art and they don't know anybody else that's doing that. And they went to an art, like a local art association meetup to get help and the art and every, all the other artists were just like jealous and telling them that they should be happy with where they're at and, um, and, and that kind of stuff. And, and so then they just don't tell anybody how successful they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a good friend who uh, he's a well-known, like a, like a well-known is not the right word because he's, he's really quiet and he's not well-known. He's just like highly collected among a small group of people. And um, he does very, very well. He's got three full-time employees um, who work for him. And um, if you met him on the street, like he, he, he doesn't say he's an artist, but he refuses to admit that he's an artist because he doesn't want that mythos um, in infecting him and his family. Mm. Right. Um, so he just like refuses to say that he's an artist, uh, even though he's actually an extremely successful artist. Um, and then I'll also get uh, probably a few times a year, I get emails from uh, professors at art schools um, who tell me that they are struggling with uh, other professors who are telling their students that they shouldn't try to make money from their art um, or like institutional uh, administrators who refuse to implement any sort of entrepreneurship or business development programs within the art school, um, which drives me crazy because like, that makes me so sad. (laughs) Like RISD art school costs as much as Harvard law. Right. But you don't want them to make any of their investment back. (laughs) (laughs) So why in the world are you telling these artists that they shouldn't try to make money from their work? So Anyway, um, yeah, I'm not saying that RISD specifically did that. They're actually really good. They had an entrepreneurship, a really strong entrepreneurship program um, within their art program. So I think uh, there, there, are, there are art schools that are good examples, but uh, I, I hear a lot from professors and other people in the art industry who tell me that, you know, other people in the industry are trying to stop artists before they get started. And it happens a lot. It's so sad. It's like, I think that what's funny is I think that that could be, I mean, that's a big holdback for some people to even pursue a level of success. Like mm-hmm. once they have it, they lose their sense of belonging because yep. then everyone else who's like in this struggling pool of artists won't, won't accept you, you know, because they'll be too jealous or they won't want to like accept or acknowledge your success um, yep. in contrast to their own situation. Which is sad because you kind of have to be willing to just be like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go get what's mine. <laughs> you really do. And, and it even goes down to like parents, right? Um, mm-hmm. So we do this in, in one of our classes, we do an exercise where I ask artists to write down their history of how they, how they discovered that they were an artist and how they want to decided that they were going to try to make a living as an artist. And I'd say probably at least a third of them, come back with the story of uh, my parents told me I couldn't study art in college. And so I studied something else and here I am 10, 20, 30 years later deciding that I want to go back to it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, It happens like, like that a a minimum, a third of the artists that do that class with us uh, come back with that story. 
it's funny. Um, what does Julia Cameron call that? Shadow artists? Yes. Mm-hmm. Or like those yeah. who choose to support other artists or be in, in fields where you are supporting other artists, but not, mm-hmm. like, not really honoring your own, your own inner artist, yeah. right? That, that there is this like, that those are often the people that will be naysaying and telling you you can't do it. And, and like on, on somewhere deep inside, they want to do it too. Yep. Yep. Um, I don't want to say, I don't want to say that like these art professors who are telling their students, they shouldn't try to make money. Like I'm making wild assumptions here, but I feel like a, a significant chunk of them are artists who couldn't figure out how to do it on their own. So they went into mm-hmm. teaching and they're, you know, out of fear or care for their students. They're trying to tell the students that because they couldn't do it, it's not possible. Yeah, which brings me to another interesting, you know, another interesting just kind of avenue in this discussion, which which comes like, which is rejection and like the pain of putting your work out there and like, you know, not even necessarily seeing, I don't even want to say commercial success, you know, because it isn't, it's not even all about money. I think that there is a level of um, professional recognition or recognition from your peers or like approval from others that 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 can be tough too because because seeking seeking financial compensation for your work you know requires putting yourself out there on another level too yep so you know there is that like self-protection instinct and the and others around you with that self-protection instinct too like forget the financial piece just the emotional piece can be a lot yeah yep it's uh and the thing is, I, I always want to, whenever this conversation comes up, I always want to expand it out from artists and say, again, it's not just artists that feel that way. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, every, I feel like every entrepreneur or a lot of entrepreneurs uh, in every industry feel that way um, because no matter who you are, it's difficult to put something you care about out into the world and have it be seen and have people go, no, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, or, or even worse than no, I don't want that is silence, right? No response at all. <laughs> <laughs> the soft pass, as they yes. call it. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, a film, that's a screenwriting term, isn't it? It's, it's, it is a term from, for like film submissions yeah, and like yeah. pitching, it, you know, it's like if you pitch someone and you just get nothing, it's like a soft pass where they're yes. just like, mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. I can't even write you back and tell you how it was <laughs> because I can't, I don't have time for your yeah. nonsense. Yeah, Couldn't even fine. get past the first five pages. So that's that. <laughs> yep. Oh man. Um, yeah, I've definitely been there. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it, it, it's real easy to, and, and then there's so many resources for getting past those sort of mental blocks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I really admire about the entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship uh, industry, the, 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 the people who teach. Yeah, the, our community, yeah. yeah um, is the number of resources that have been generated for overcoming this sort of whatever you want to call it, creative block or mindset issues or whatever. Like there's so many books and, um, like you and I are part of a Facebook group and somebody asked like, what are your favorite books on mindset? And she got like 40 responses. Um, (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And so there's, there's a lot of books like about how to overcome just about any problem you can have. Uh, and, yeah, that's, I guess that's, what, that's where I was going. 
It's like, I feel like there, we used to say, right, there's an app for that, right? Like that used to be a thing. Now I'm like, there's a book for that. There's a coach for that. (laughs) There's definitely a someone for exactly that. Indeed. Do you have any favorite books on mindset that you would recommend that you kind of come back to um, for your students or clients? Yeah. Um, I actually just had this conversation this morning with a coaching client. Uh, so I have several. Um, and the ones that I recommended to him this morning, uh, we talked about the artist's way. Love um, that one. And I, th- I feel like the artist's way is like the forgotten stepchild of this business. Uh, uh-huh. because she's like, she was the first one to do it for artists and uh, everybody forgets about her, but like the morning pages thing is probably the most, one of the most valuable things that you can do when it comes to mindset issues. Yep. And uh, so I'll often refer people back to the artist's way. Um, But then beyond that, the big leap uh, mindset, um, Amanda Palmer's book, the art of asking, those are the ones I recommended this morning. I love the big leap and I love the artist's way. I've never read the art of asking. I feel like the art of asking should be required reading for every, anybody who goes into an artistic profession. Ooh, yeah, clearly a there's a gap in my education right now. <laughs> uh, it, it blew my mind. I've read it twice uh, since it came wow. out. Um, I, I really love it. I think uh, it's such a, Amanda Palmer is such a great example of somebody who is fierce and fearless. Um, and fearless isn't even the right word. Uh, brave, like fierce and brave because she's afraid, uh, but she asks anyway, you know, and she had the first million dollar Kickstarter and she had um, a rec- you know, she got a record label deal as an independent artist and then left that record label and is now, you know, off on her own again. And she's just done all these things that are freaking incredible. Like she suspended herself from the top of the, uh, Sydney opera house and played her ukulele and made a music video out of it. that's awesome (laughs) i i love stories like that especially because i think it's just important to to illustrate like what's possible and that a lot of times you know it it gets anything you could literally do anything create anything be whoever you want to be if you're intentional about it and like you overcome the anxiety around putting yourself out there and asking for what you need to to make shit happen right um and so that's just you know, continues to underline, like, you're like, she's doing these things that are so in, like incredible. And what's funny is that are like the initial thing, the initial thought that pops up is like, that's so crazy. Who would do that? Or like, who would think that you could do that? You know, when she just decided and, and went for it. Right. Yep. Like went all in. Yep. So it makes me want to ask anyone who's listening, like, what are you not going all in on? (laughs) You know, what, what's lingering there that, that you're holding yourself back from, because I'm sure there's a a hidden list of things. Um, Probably even for you and I. Probably. Probably. I literally say, I was literally saying, I hope she doesn't ask me that question. (laughs) (laughs) you don't have to answer it it can just linger there in the ether and everyone could wonder now what you're thinking of (laughs) so i'm curious um you know with with your background in acting and i i know you started acting 
pretty young. Yeah, I was a little um, kid. Yeah. What, I'm curious, like, how did it, how did you end up supporting visual artists? <laughs> uh, I went to this networking meeting this morning, so I've answered this question like four times today. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, can you ask me a different question? No, it's question? fine. Um, so I, like, I have a background in theater. I started acting when I was a little kid. I was in a touring Shakespeare troupe when I was a teenager. Um, I got my degree in acting. Um, if I could go back in time, I would totally want to see your theater troupe. Oh my gosh. Like doing Shakespeare. <laughs> I wish I there wish. were pictures because we were just teenagers. Oh my God. Um, if there was a time machine, I would do that. That was what I would do with my evening tonight. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that'd be pretty great. I wish there were pictures. Um, I'll send you like for the podcast notes or whatever, I'll send you some pictures of me doing Shakespeare. Um, <gasps> Please do. <laughs> but they're all, they're all, they're all as an adult. I don't have any from my teen years. That's um, okay. We can imagine. Yeah. There's always so, Photoshop. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> um, what was the question? Oh, how did I do this? So, uh, yeah. yeah. So I, when I graduated from college, uh, my wife and I moved to Portland, uh, long dramatic story about how we moved to Portland, but we'll skip it for now. And uh, I was working, I, I needed a job, I needed any job. And so I got to work uh, for this little internet marketing agency. And I, I had been into like my version of internet marketing back in the day was blogging on MySpace to get people to come out to my shows while I was in college. Um, and so because I did that, I knew internet marketing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, MySpace. <laughs> so I uh, worked at that company for about two and a half years. And while I was there, I, st I started a blog called The Abundant Artist. And it was just like, I was just exploring like how do creative people make money, right? And I really didn't know. Uh, I had done some sales work to get myself through college, but I really didn't know how to turn my creative stuff into a moneymaker. So I started just interviewing anybody who did any creative thing and uh, the people who responded the most to my blog posts and podcasts were, uh, were all visual artists, painters and sculptors and stuff. And uh, initially like classes I was teaching, like I did it for a while. I did it for like two years before I taught any classes um, just cause I was learning and gathering information and experimenting and stuff. And then people started asking me to teach classes. So I did a class and it was more like a general over inter internet marketing overview. Um, and then it sort of morphed over time into becoming uh, classes for visual artists on how to sell art. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that was, you know, I started doing that in 2000, 2008 and I guess it's 2018. So it's been 10 years. It's been a decade. Yes. Uh, and you know, I quit my job five years ago. Uh, so I've been doing this. This has been my, uh, primary gig for five years. That's amazing. Yeah. And you have like incredible, like your, your clients and students have incredible success and like grow leaps and bounds and I'm sure, you know, not just their financial success, but how they, their relationship with their work. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so one of our, one of our clients, uh, this summer, she's based in the UK. Uh, she's a, she, she does oil paintings of flowers and her work is relatively expensive. It's like five to 10 grand for a, an original piece of art, um, at the low end and goes all the way up to, I think 25 or 30 grand. And, um, 
she, this summer, there's a huge flower festival there. Uh, I guess there's like a hundred thousand people that come through this flower festival and she's going to be the solo featured artist at the greenhouse in the center of this festival. Um, so, so like a hundred thousand people are going to see her work, uh, this summer. So, uh, you know, results, not typical, but, right. uh, that's, that's the kind of stuff that some of our more successful, uh, artists are, are doing. And it kind of blows my mind, uh, where we're at now versus, you know, when I started. That's so amazing. It's yeah. just so great. It's really fun. I don't, yeah. I don't know if you know this about me, but I actually went to high school for visual art and was like very much into painting and mixed media um, until I was like 19. Isn't that funny? That is. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually, it's, I went through a phase when I was first starting my, my business where I considered, I, I like briefly considered selling my, like selling art very briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, if I would have known you then, Corey, who if knows only. what, who if knows only. what would be possible. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I love that you also mentioned earlier in our conversation, how a lot of the stuff that artists struggle with, there can be similar to the things that entrepreneurs struggle with. Mm-hmm. What do you think, like, what do you see as, you know, if you were going to do like a Venn diagram of like the things that are distinctly common between like artists and entrepreneurs, what would you put in that center? Um, ooh, good question. Nobody's ever asked me that question. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that question. Um, I would say the first one that comes to mind is the drive to create, right? There, mm-hmm. artists have this need to create something. I'll often, I'll often ask, why are you creating that? And the first response is always, I don't know, I just need to. Um, and I think that happens for entrepreneurs too. Like I see this problem and I'm just gonna fix it or I, I, there's this thing that needs to happen and nobody else is doing it, so I'm just gonna do it. Um, that, that is very similar to me. Um, then, there's the, the need for independence. Um, and, and that is a double-edged sword for artists and entrepreneurs. Um, like I started my business because I didn't want to have a job anymore. Uh, and so then I left and I was, you know, on my own doing my own thing. And then it's really isolating and, uh, building a team means that you're in charge and you don't have peers in your work. Right. So then your peers become other entrepreneurs and you have to learn how to connect with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and artists have similar things like they, they need space, uh, both mental and physical space to create their work. And so if you're, if you're a prolific artist and you're spending a lot of time making whatever you make, you spend a lot of time alone, um, maybe with some music or podcasts, but mostly alone. Um, and then you have to go from that alone mode to trying to connect with people to sell your work or to talk about your work. Um, so there's that, that independence uh, and isolation aspect. Um, and then there's also the, uh, the other challenge that I see is uh, information bubbles. Uh, so I see entrepreneurs get stuck in feedback loops where the only people they know are people who are roughly as successful as them. Uh, 
And so they, they don't progress beyond where their peer group is at. Uh, and I see that with artists too. Um, and that can happen with the art making itself. It can happen with the art business. Um, art, people are afraid to reach outside of their information bubble and try to find experiment with other things. Mm -hmm. It's funny when you talked about the independence thing, mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, Oh yeah, it could get really awkward when you've been alone for too long. And then you try to go out into the world and you're like, I don't know how to mouth use words, say things. Hi. <laughs> you like go to a Starbucks and forget your own order that you order all the time. Cause you just mm -hmm. don't know how to like speak to people. Um, <laughs> my characters are still talking in my head right now. I don't know. They're still with us. Um, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the, for, as a writer, like that is happens a lot mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. Um, what do you think people can do to break out of their information bubble? I don't know. It's really hard. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think about this a lot because um, I'm pretty politically active and uh, I view myself as like a center left political person. And mm -hmm. um, a lot of what I see in news or social media is relatively extreme, um, in my opinion, either to the right or to the left. And, uh, because I try to take a middle road through a lot of things, I sometimes find myself getting yelled at because I don't have the right opinion. Um, I mean, what qualifies as the right opinion? <laughs> well, whichever one. Right. Would, because, you, because yeah. it's like not this side or this side. So then you're just in that space where like, that's fine. I'll just, the cheese stands alone. Sure. Yeah. The cheese stands alone. <laughs> but you know what? It's uh, a really good gruyere. So it's fine. <laughs> talk about good cheese. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I can't say that I have a really good answer for how to get out of your information bubble other than like go to websites that you wouldn't normally go to subscribe to magazines and email lists that you vehemently disagree with. Right. Like um, I read some political uh, blogs that I know I'm going to disagree with, but I read them because I feel like I need to understand uh, what's going on from other points of view and not get trapped in circular thinking. Um, same thing with business advice. Like I follow some people that are uh, black hat. Is that the kind term? Uh, people who are taking advantage of other people. Mm -hmm. um, not because I want to learn how to do that, but because I want to not be stuck in circular thinking. Um, Mm -hmm. Anytime that I'm in a room and I find that most of the people in the room are agreeing, I feel like uncomfortable. Um, and so then I will usually leave the room and go find a room where people are disagreeing with each other. Um, mm -hmm. Because I just, I feel really uncomfortable when everybody's nodding their head. Right. right. Um, that's why I don't like uh, people I don't follow are like the business and entrepreneurship celebrities. Um, mm -hmm. You know who they are. There's like people with podcasts that have like a bajillion followers and, um, and they all have like um, 
Well, I can take I, I, Tony Robbins is like a perfect example of this. Um, mm-hmm. I try really hard not to follow people like him because, <laughs> um, because there's so many people that do. Yeah. Right. And I find that there are a lot more interesting, thoughtful, useful people who have not cultivated uh, a cult of personality. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So that's what I do, but I don't, I don't know. Getting out of an information bubble is really hard because technologically where we're at, every company that we give our business to is trying to put us in an information bubble. Yep. Right. Because then we'll, we'll keep buying. Like if there's like a, a economic reason to keep us where we are. Yep. On many levels, actually, <laughs> that could go really deep. We could go really deep on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, and this is kind of a, a left turn. I'm curious what your personal definition of artist is, or even like you could do artistry or creative. I'm going to let you choose. Um, Cause I self-identify as an artist and yes, I've had a history in visual art. Um, but the reason I self-identify as an artist isn't because I'm a visual artist. So I'm curious, um, like how that expands or doesn't for you and, and like what your personal definition of, of a creative or an artist is. I don't love this question because it's sorry. No, no, it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm not upset. I just, uh, it's, it's an impossible question, right? It's totally subjective. And, um, some people will get really mad because art is only a certain thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but somebody asked this me, is a per- this is a personal question. So there's no right yeah. or wrong answer. Yeah. Somebody asked me the other day, like what I think the purpose of art is. And I think it's easier mm-hmm. to define what art is when you think of it or, or not, not the purpose, but what does art do that nothing else can do? Oh, and um, I feel like it's a really good question. And I that don't feels like an easy question. <laughs> no, it's not an easy question because art, and this is what, this is how I answered the question because I think it's, um, I think that art goes past our intellectual responses to things mm-hmm. and speaks directly to our emotions and souls. Yep. And that is a unique quality of art. Uh, And I think when you're talking about what is the definition of art, it's anything that penetrates in that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, If it, if it only engages your intellect and doesn't move you uh, one way or another, it doesn't have to be propaganda, but it should, it should move you. uh, Then I think that it's maybe not art, uh, but then, of course, all of the contemporary artists are going to be like, but I'm responding to art history and art criticism, mm-hmm. and it should only be on an intellectual level. So it's really, it's a Gordian not question. Mm-hmm. Well, as far as an identifier, though, like, when you, like, would you would call yourself creative, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. And what, what would you say are the benchmarks of living a creative life for yourself? Uh, do you generate more than you consume? Um, or at least do you generate significantly, right? Um, <clears throat> I try to write and create things at least, at least a few hours each day, right? 
um, you know, do you try to combine ideas from ideas that don't necessarily work together? Right. Uh, so like art and business, a lot of people think that that stuff doesn't go together. I spend a lot of time thinking about it and I think it does go together. Um, when it comes to like, I'm working on my second novel and I'm doing a lot of thinking about, um, a unified theory of religion. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, they like why there are so many different religions when there's probably just one supreme being or supreme thing. So why do we all interpret it so differently? Um, those are the, like, like thinking about the nature of things makes you, I think makes you a creative. Uh, if you're just thinking about it, then maybe you're a philosopher. If you're making something mm. after you think about it, then you're probably an artist. I don't know, Jamie. That's great. No, it's a great, I think it's a great response. And I don't, I mean, I, I agree. I don't have anything to add to that at this moment. Um, but it's sound, it's a sound response and it's personal to you. So no one, no one has to like it or agree, <laughs> but I like it. So you've got one fan here. Um, <laughs> now, another thing that I want to touch on is, Really like, so for someone who's, for example, like working on their novel and they're like, I'm also an entrepreneur or, or I'm already kind of, you know, earning money in this, in a freelance lifestyle or with my own business or, you know, doing my own thing. And I still feel like I'm struggling for flexibility to like work on what I would consider my own creative projects. What would you say? Like, how would you advise someone, you know, and this could apply to somebody with more of a, uh, like who's an employee, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be someone <clears throat> how doing do you their find, own thing. How do you find like, the time to be creative? Is that what, is that the question? Yeah. I'm curious. The question is like, how do you create balance in your life as a creative and an entrepreneur, which we kind of talked about how those things require different brains, mm -hmm. you know, to some extent. So I'm curious you know, switching modes, um, having dedicated time, getting into the creative flow, you know, what are you, what's, you know, what's the, what's your methodology for creating balance around that? Do you have any tips that you want to share? Sure. Uh, so I think probably the person that you should talk to about this and do like a whole episode about is Charlie Gilkey, um, mm -hmm. from Productive Flourishing because he's one of my best friends and this is like what he does all day. Uh, he and I have connected online previously, yeah, like a long time ago. So, okay. um, so what I've learned from Charlie uh, and from some of the research that he sent me and stuff is uh, the big key is to avoid context switching, right? Uh, so to go, or not avoid it, but to go as long as possible without switching. So uh, context switching is switching the mode in which your brain is operating, right? Uh, so like administrative work and like simple repetitive tasks is one thing. Uh, deeply creative work like writing or painting um, or, you know, philosophy, like th that requires long periods of uninterrupted thought. Software development is another thing like that. Um, 
and and there's you know probably one or two other categories of work. Uh, and if you, you, what I see a lot of people do, and what uh, corporate culture encourages people to do, is to try to just do that work as it comes, instead of blocking time out and saying, "I am doing this work today or this morning, and I'm not doing anything else for that time period." Um, means that. Yeah, you know, if if you can do that, you'll get a lot more done. You'll be a lot more productive. Um, Cal Newport's book, Deep Work, goes into the science of all this. Um, I think that's a great book. Uh, so what? So at, like on a practical level, how do you implement that? Um, like I'm staring at my calendar right now, and mm-hmm. I've got um, every morning this week, I've got two hours blocked out to write. So I try to start my day with two hours of writing and whatever I get done in that time period is what I get done. Um, and then in the afternoon, I've got a two hour chunk to work on. Uh, I've got a, a launch coming up for one of our courses. So I've got to put together some promotional materials for that. Right. Uh, and then on Wednesday, tomorrow morning, I've got, uh, after my writing time, I've got another two hours of coaching calls. Right. Uh, and so I try to batch my work together. So it's similar types of work that I'm doing over whatever time. Mm-hmm. And you find that that helps you stay in the zone and be uh-huh. more productive and kind of create carve out carve out the space that all of your projects require of you. Yeah. And what I'll, yes, absolutely. And what I tell artists who that I work with who are at the beginning of their careers and they have day jobs to support themselves, I'll say, treat your side hustle or your art business or whatever you want to call it as a second job and create a schedule for yourself where every Tuesday and Wednesday night and Saturday morning, you have whatever it is, four hours and you get your wife and your kids on board and let them know that you are unavailable during that time period and that you are working and uh, you get your, your partner or your spouse to take care of the kids during that time. Um, uh, or you stick your kids in front of a TV, whatever works. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, and you keep that schedule every week. And if you can do that, uh, you'll, you'll find that, the work will start to, to flow. Um, where I see people really struggling is when they're like, Oh, I fit my work in around the rest of my life. Right. Um, you get like the, the stay at home mom who mm-hmm. takes care of her kids all day, uh, and then tries to take care of her, you know, her spouse or whatever in the evening. Uh, and so she's constantly running errands, constantly putting out fires, and there's never like a solid chunk of time where she can just work. Um, I mm-hmm. see that happen a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's important to ask for the help and support you need in your life from those around you who can, um, who can get on board with you carving out that time and making it a priority. Yep. Yeah. So important. I have a couple more. Uh, I have like one more big question. And this question is, if you had, if you had $5 million tax-free 
that was just deposited into your account next week, what would you use that money for? Mm, good question. Um, I would pay off all of our debt and our house so that we were uh, secure in that way. And then I would probably go talk to a financial advisor and ask for some advice on, I, I'm not great with money. So uh, I can make money, but I'm not good at like figuring out what to do with it once I have it. Um, go talk to a financial advisor, ask them for some advice. Um, but then within the context of my business and life goals, uh, there are some technology startups that I think I could use uh, some money to invest in uh, some ideas that I want to see happen. I'd like to see like a Pandora radio for fine art. Um, I think that's a technology thing that needs to happen. Um, I like tech startups, so I'd probably invest in some of those. Um, and I would probably look to um, organ. There, there are a couple of nonprofit organizations that work with, uh, what do you call it? Um, ch disadvantaged children mm -hmm. uh, here in Portland. I, I do uh, some, non some volunteer work for one of these organizations here. Uh, and I would probably help fund some of the work that they do. Um, yeah. I'd probably eat up the $5 million right there. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Good answers. What, um, I also, I don't, I don't think that you're not good with money, by the way. <laughs> you said that and I, I like, I, my whole body was like, nope, nope, nope. Let's reframe that. Let's reframe that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd say I, it's not, it's not that I'm like bad with money. It's just that. No, it's just that you don't have like 15 investment portfolios picked out in advance of your $5 million surprise money. Cause like yes. who does? <laughs> yes. Uh, and it's been, it's been my, my practice to surround myself with people who, who think about money and investing all the time. Um, yeah. And so I have some of those people in my life and I would probably go to them and say, just have a huge windfall. What's your advice? Because uh, it's just not something that I spend a ton of time thinking about and I don't have an expertise in it. Mm -hmm. Totally. That makes sense. I intend to have some of those experts on this show. So There'll be plenty of plenty of other feedback from that question. That should be interesting to see. Um, what parting piece of advice do you would you like to leave our listeners with? So this can be around, you know, their creative person who wants to make money from their own work, or mm -hmm. a creative person who really wants to make sure that they are expressing themselves completely with their with their work in the world, whether that's professional or not, whether that's, um, whether they do something else for money and then they have their creative thing that they're doing, um, that maybe might lead to money or not. I'm curious what parting piece of advice you would give. You know, I, the only thing that comes to mind is the thing that I am focused on right now for, for this year, which is take a partner, find somebody who is, interested in similar things to you. They don't have to be working on the same project or company with you, but somebody who has similar interests and is on a similar trajectory 
partner with them, talk to them on a regular basis. And whenever you do something, try to find, try to find a way to do it with other people um, because you don't want to get five, 10 years into your business and find that you're still doing it alone um, because you, your effectiveness is magnified significantly when you're working with other people. Mm. So would you say like, would you say that, um, would you say like an accountability buddy or like an actual partner in your creative work? I think both either way are useful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like for me, I have, I actually have a mastermind group for my business and then I have a mastermind group for my novel writing. Um, and then I am also, uh, looking for, uh, technology partners for these startups that I want to work on. Mm -hmm. Um, so I am looking for partnerships in the endeavors that I'm undertaking. Got it. That's an awesome piece of advice. Thank you so much, Corey. This has been an incredible time, an incredible conversation with so many like gold nuggets of value. Thank you so much for taking the time to share all of your wisdom and just you. Um, where can listeners find you if they want to go stalk you on the interwebs? Well, if you are a visual artist and you want to learn about our uh, art business stuff, then head on over to theabundantartist.com. Um, if you want to talk about anything else, uh, then you can head over to coreyhuff.com, C-O-R-Y-H-U-F-F.com. Excellent. And I'll be sure to include all of those links in the show notes too, so it'll be easy to access. Awesome. Thank you so much, Corey. All right. Thanks so much, Jamie. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Creatives Making Money and do not go anywhere without subscribing. Remember, after the show, it is the after party. Remember, we do a weekly after party on Facebook Live every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. So each week I'll be jamming there live on special actionable takeaways for you from that week's episode. Just go to creativesmakingmoney.com slash after party to join us. And if you're looking to connect with more listeners and like-minded creatives, you totally can. Part of the purpose of this podcast is to create conversation and community. And so my biggest hope is that you decide to continue that convo in our private online Facebook lounge. You can head to creativesmakingmoney.com slash group to join the free group. And as always, you can find all the important links and details from today's episode in the show notes. This week's episode show notes are available at creativesmakingmoney.com slash Corey Huff. That's C-O-R-Y-H-U-F-F. Do not hesitate to head over there now. And as always, create like you mean it.